is All That Matters. I'm Nikki Weir. And I'm Beth Storheim. All That Matters is a weekly show about arts and culture around Alberta. Each week we try to take small bites out of a big question. And this week, we're talking about sex. That's right. The big question we're looking at is, how does art help us talk about sex and sexuality? When I think about sex and art, I usually picture some Renaissance nude painting or sculpture or some kind of indie softcore porn. Well, one of our stories today is about nude modeling, and it figures. When talking about the sexual aspects of art, that we'd go for the obvious. Although what is learnt through the art of nude modeling for life drawings is perhaps more surprising than one might think. Meanwhile, the other story we have for you is not what you'd immediately think of when you hear art and sex. I guess it's maybe more about promoting safe sex through art rather than sex in art. As this is a radio show, you can feel free to use your imagination here. Heck, your imagination can probably make a better picture for you than if we could somehow stick a new drawing here. Same goes for the following. There are physical and chemical supplies you can use to promote sexual health. But have you ever thought about using your culture? Erin Consmo is an artist and the Media Arts Justice and Projects Coordinator at the Native Youth Sexual Health Network. And she came up with an idea that started as a joke, but has spun into a new approach to use art to talk about sex and sexuality with Indigenous youth. Here's Chris Chang and Phillips. From what I've heard, this whole thing started with a conversation on Twitter. Uh, tell me what happened. Absolutely. So just a little bit of context about myself. So uh, I work for an organization called the Native Youth Sexual Health Network, and we're a buy and for Indigenous youth organization uh, that works around the full spectrum of sexual and reproductive health rights and justice. So that basically means everything and anything to do with our bodies uh, and also our lands. And one of uh, the ways that we do our work around uh, sexual and reproductive health rights and justice is through media and arts platforms or mediums. And a hashtag came up a few years ago on Twitter that was really uh, popular among Indigenous communities, that hashtag being uh, nativer than you. So basically this concept of breaking down um, what makes like a, a, a real Indian, uh, and that's kind of a contentious topic in our communities, um, but important to really break down um, and confront like these ideas that Indigenous peoples are just a thing of the past versus very live and active communities that are recreating our identities in really specific ways in the future and including in uh, mediums like Twitter. And so uh, as a youth network, it's important for us to be engaged in online platforms. So uh, when the hashtag Nativer Than You came out, we got online and decided to participate in it and made a sexual health series of Nativer Than You tweets. So one of those tweets was, uh, my condoms are beaded, not ribbed, uh, hashtag Nativer Than You. So it literally, the, the whole concept for beaded condoms came from that tweet and that idea um, that we can also talk about uh, funny and unique ways that our sexuality as Indigenous peoples is connected to our culture and kind of make fun of make fun of that as well. So how did it graduate from being this uh, joke as, as part of this ongoing hashtag um, into becoming something that you thought you might want to really do? 
you know, I thought, well, it's a, you know, it was a pretty good experience for me to sit and be a condom. Um, for somebody that works a lot with harm reduction materials, it was a really great way to just sit and work with a condom in my hand, but also to do something that I love to do, which is, is beadwork. And I know that lots of other Indigenous youth um, like to do beadwork. It's not only just a gender-specific um, arts activity. It's, it's something that men, women, two-spirit, um, gender non-conforming folks all do. And it's something that um, brings us together around tables, food, um, with our aunties and our uncles. So, you know, I really thought it would be great to offer this as an activity to uh, young people in our network uh, who like to be but are also interested in learning more about how to protect their bodies and learning about harm, reduc harm reduction materials uh, such as condoms or dental dams in a way that's really um, non non-threatening because it can be uh, you know, like a lot of the sexual health conversations in our communities can be really threatening or intimidating. They're often like, don't have sex. Um, be careful if you have sex because um, you'll get all these like nasty things. Um, and we really wanted to be able to, you know, for us, it's really important to make non-threatening environments to be able to um, touch harm reduction materials, learn how to use them properly, um, talk about the historical legacies um, that make it hard for us to have these conversations. So those legacies being things like residential schools where talking about sex was shamed and removing some of those barriers among ourselves as young people. And so, you know, we did one of the first Be the Condom workshops here in Edmonton at iHuman uh, with Indigenous youth um, in the inner city. And um, and it's, it's, a, it's an activity that's like doesn't have shame or stigma around it so it it really got people to just have their their hands on condoms and from there it's just really exploded into an activity um, that many of our youth leaders across Canada and the U.S. have taken up on their own. So this thing that started with this youth arts center in Edmonton that human has exploded out. Uh, um, yeah. How the heck do you beat a condom? Like, what does that even look like? <laughs> yeah, that's. A, I'm imagining that's a really rhinestones. Good, <laughs> that's a really good question, and that was a whole part of the process. In order to beat a condom, you generally need um, condoms that don't that don't have lubricant on them, or you have to wash off the lube, um, and that really just facilitates the process of being able to beat the condom with it without it, like, you know, being really slippery. <laughs> um, and then it, it's really quite simple um, beyond that. It just requires uh, beading thread, um, some, be some basic seed beads, and a needle. Um, and what you basically do is you bead the whole rim of the condom. Um, so you don't unroll the condom, you just bead the whole rim around the condom. And what you come up with um, is basically a little beaded condom medallion. Um, and what we've done in our workshops is um, created them into either pins or ha made them so people can hang them off of their rear view mirrors or also wear them as um, beaded medallions. So beaded medallions are huge among Indigenous youth, um, you know, across Canada and the U.S. They're um, a way to, like, engage in hip-hop culture. They're a way to engage and show, like, pride at powwows and other social events. And so we wanted folks to be able to also like wear something, wear an art product at the end, um, or to be able to you know carry it around on their keychain to have a conversation 
with like their cookum or their nookum, so their grandmother or grandfather or their aunties and uncles and say like, you know, it's important for us in our communities at these social events to like, you know, be talking about sex, um, to be talking about ways to help keep each other safe. They're, they're actually quite beautiful. Um, the, the pieces that I've seen young people create over the last year are really quite gorgeous. Um, you never would think that condoms could be so beautiful, but they really are. That's interesting. Tell me about why it would be important to have conversations with family members, have that kind of, that conversation get started. Absolutely. So, uh, you know, I think one of the the things that we're still working through in Indigenous communities with our own families, I know with my own family, is being able to address some of the ways that uh, sex, sexuality, and the conversations around our bodies um, have become more difficult because of, you know, those legacies of residential school around, you know, issues like sexual abuse, um, the, the ways that our gender identities have been shifted because of um, colonization, Christianity, um, and religion. And so for, for me, and I think for us at the Native Youth Sexual Health Network, it's been really important to pull in um, folks from all generations to have this conversation and to also sit and bead with us. Um, to be able to break down some of those legacies and say, like, why is it so uncomfortable for us to talk about our bodies as Indigenous people? Like, you know, historically, like, those are something that, like, they're, they're sacred, like, we're, you know, it's our birthright to, like, be able to experience pleasure, um, to be able to, like, learn about our bodies and, um, you know, to have fun with them and so it's been important to have elders or our aunties and uncles around for these conversations as well. And I think it's really invited them in because many of them are beaters. Many of them like to sit around tables um, and have conversations and like also be busy with their hands. And it, so I think it makes it makes it I think it makes it an intergenerational activity in that way as well because it's not only our young people beating, it's our aunties and uncles, it's our grandmothers that have um, stories and histories around beadwork patterns or certain colors that they use. Uh, so it invites everybody in to, that, to have that conversation. Um, and I, I give this example um, that uh, in the last year, I was sitting one time with a group of elders um, and ceremonial people when we were preparing ceremony. Um, and I was sitting there and beading a condom and during that conversation, and during that conversation, one of the elders just stopped, and like the whole conversation went silent. And they said to me, "Like, what are you doing? Are you, what is that?" And I told her that it was a condom, that I was beating a condom. And the thing that the elder said to me, and this has really stuck with me since that moment, they said to me that that it was really unsettling for them to see me beating a condom. And so it led to a discussion to say, like, well, why is it uncomfortable for you to see me beating a condom? Um, is it the fact that it is a condom? Is it the fact that, like, condoms are linked to our bodies and sex and sexuality? There, I think there's no better way to, than to sit around, like, a kitchen table or a community table, um, pull out the craft supplies, pull out the art supplies, uh, to be able to have conversations around our bodies. Thanks to Erin Consmo, Media Arts Justice and Projects Coordinator with the Native Youth Sexual Health Network. 
You can find them at NYSHN on Twitter. And thank you, Chris. You're listening to All That Matters from CGSR 88.5 FM in Edmonton. Each week we try to take small bites out of a big question. This week, how does art help us talk about sex and sexuality? What Erin is doing is so important. Sexual education with any population, Indigenous or not, is so important. Especially for young people. There are so many myths and misrepresentations around sex. I wish when I was younger I had some kind of art form to express my sexuality through. Or at least some kind of vehicle to help me ask those tough questions. I agree it's very important. And it defies the unfortunate tendency for so many places, even in the 21st century, to advocate abstinence-only education while neglecting to emphasize or even discuss safe sex. Sex is still seen as dirty, and STDs, even while they can be so damaging and dangerous to one's health, are unfortunately thought of as easily cured, or worse, the subject is ignored entirely. When I was a budding preteen, I could thankfully express my sexuality through drawings, or tattooing my Barbies, but I was still pretty clueless about sex back then, especially anything outside of a heteronormative, monogamous, white-centric kind of thinking. It still would have helped me, and would help so many people now, if sex sex was not still seen as shameful or sinful. In many cases, nudity and sex go hand in hand, so you may question if sex can be separated from art, even when the models are completely nude. For starters, using the preferred term life model as opposed to nude model when you Google figurative art will save you a big shock, as it will also demonstrate how nudity isn't always provocative. Our reporter, Sarah Alfazema, interviewed Andrea, a life model, and Harry Ebbing, a visual artist, to highlight the educational value of figure drawing aside from the technical skills. My name is Andrea. I'm an art model, so I pose for life drawing classes, painting, sculpture, and, uh, and then I also have a side job as a professional. So you said that you're an art model. Does that include posing naked and sometimes wearing clothes? Like, explain to me. Usually life drawing is totally nude. Uh, it's really important from an artist's perspective. So they want to see the full anatomy of the body. Sometimes clothes for portraiture, but usually we're looking at completely nude. How long have you been doing art modeling for? I've been at it for seven years. I started because a friend of mine was taking her Bachelor of Arts at the U of A, and she said, did you know they hire people to pose naked for art classes? You would love that. So I gave it a try and got totally hooked. Oh, so my name's Harry Abink, and I'm actually retired. I retired early uh, to take up a life of art. <laughs> and uh, I'm uh, an art student at U of A Extension uh, at Enterprise Square downtown, and I'm working on my visual arts certificate, and I'm on my last course in that program. Have you had the opportunity to do any nude drawings or painting? Oh, yes, uh, right from uh, the beginning classes, uh, uh, portraits and, and figures are included in almost all classes. Figurative has to do with the body, so you could uh, paint a person clothed, you could paint them naked, uh, and actually this is one of the most challenging forms of art. It's very difficult to uh, to paint the body correctly, 
And uh, all humans have uh, sort of an innate uh, capability of looking at a body or portrait and knowing if it's right or wrong. So it's, it's very critical that you can draw this or paint it correctly. People who life draw really struggle to make the work that they do when they're learning. It's really hard to mm-hmm. get the proportions right. Um, it's almost mathematical. So when they're looking at me trying to make a drawing, they're not even seeing the nude woman most of the time. They're seeing where's this shape? What's this shadow doing? And it's breaking down to those more mathematical, more basic elements. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you look at a well-done figure painting, there's often that fluttery feeling that people get seeing this nude, even though it might be a shy nude or not provocative at all. Um, but that relationship between us in the human experience. So do you know if there's any specific or like a criteria for who is an ideal life model, like in the fashion world or for certain magazines where people are featured naked, there is still a certain type of body they want for men, a chiseled body for women, tiny waist, big breasts. For life drawing, is there that same expectation? You know what, that's something that's awesome about being a life model and the art field when it comes to drawing nudes is they want to see everything. They want to see the big, the small, male, female, young, old. Um, The diversity is rich and it's absolutely not about being a certain body type. And um, often I model, I don't feel that I'm, you know, I feel like I'm sort of an average looking woman. And and that's the pleasure in it, though, because I'm comfortable with me. Everybody is comfortable with me, even though I'm not um, a fashion model type or, um, you know, maybe socially would be seen as a sexy body type. Well, you said anybody can be sexy. Exactly. So how was your first experience? I would expect you to be nervous. Were you or not at all? Oh, yeah. Very nervous. Walk me through yeah. it. How was it? The first, so the first time you walk in, tell me from the moment that you had to take off your clothes and being in front of everybody. It was here at the U of A for a painting class, and they tell you to bring a robe and everything. So you go into a little room and you take off all your clothes and you put on your robe so you look professional and come out in front of a room full of students. And the teacher says, "Okay, sit there," and and that was it. Then you disrobe and, but you know what? I was fluttery and excited, and I got a real kick out of it. But then sort of nothing happened, right? Then I watched these students struggle to make a painting that sort of represented me. And I could see how hard they were really working for it. And uh, and that was a pleasure, though, because the sky didn't fall when I took off my clothes in front of all these kids. You know, I really had to see them work for it. I've worked with a lot of classes where it's their first time. And now because I'm so experienced, a lot of classes will ask me to come in to pose for these first-time students because I'm very confident now and and it's not a big deal but they're more nervous than I am Mm -hmm. at this point for sure and I have had students actually misunderstand their teacher saying we're doing life drawing today and when I disrobe um, actually cover their eyes or blush you know with this uncertainty yeah so have you personally experienced an awkward moment where you just felt uncomfortable, even though you've been doing it for so many years? Like, did you have a situation where you felt like somebody was looking at you in a way that you just felt like, oh, this is not artistic eyes. These are sexual eyes. Could you say that or have you ever felt in a way? 
life drawing is always pretty sexy. Um, the body is beautiful, no matter who you're drawing or what shape and size. But I've absolutely never felt disrespected. It's always a really safe environment. And the artists are just so grateful to have someone there willing to share themselves in that way because they can't do their work unless there's a model. Mm-hmm. So I have never felt disrespected. So in what ways are life drawings more than sexual? Because you said they're always sexual. So is it, is it just that they're just more simply like artistic and sexual or is there more to it that it's educational? What would you say? I think it's part of being a human being and that human experience. So even a portrait is quite sexy. You're glimpsing a person. It's very personal. Um, and then with the nude, it's, it's even more than that. For me, um, I wasn't expecting this. I was taking a, a drawing one class and we were drawing the usual still lifes and everything. And our instructor came in one night and says, well, for next week, uh, there's going to be something different. He says, there will be no profanity and there will be no violence, but there will be nudity. And uh, I was wondering, oh, what was that all about? So when I came into the next class, Andrea actually was the model who came in. And um, she went up on the stage and disrobed. And I was shocked. I, I, <laughs> I have a conservative upbringing and I, I was... Um, it was an eye-opening experience, so to speak, mm-hmm. <laughs> but it was also um, a kind of a, and I, I don't want to be uh, using a strange term, but it was a kind of a life-altering uh, experience, too. It kind of opened my mind to a few things, and it was a good experience. For your first time, do you think it would have made a difference if the model was male? Like, would that create tension or ease it? It probably would have. This is uh, one of the other things I've learned through life uh, drawing. As a, as a white male, uh, conservative upbringing, I, I suppose I was a little bit homophobic um, in my outlook. And we've, we've done uh, both uh, nude females and nude males. And that was another thing, another hurdle for me to overcome. And, and uh, I think it was a good thing for me because I, I think I've become uh, more broad-minded and more accepting as a result. Mm-hmm. Going back to the sexualization or the the sexual aspect of life drawings, I want to know if you think there's similarities or differences between um, yourself and a Playboy bunny or any woman who or male who is in front of the camera and who's captured nude. Uh, I think the intention is definitely different uh, with Playboy that sort of thing. It's very much for that sexual pleasure gratification when it comes to life drawing and the creation of art uh, when you look at a finished piece you might feel that stir and that's exciting hopefully you also feel a little bit more though the struggle of the artist the emotion that was between the artist and the model and uh, and the work and the time that it took because that's the real difference is creating works of art from life is very challenging. There's definitely a feeling that if you've worked from life, then you get it. If you haven't worked from life, you don't. Um, I have brought up the fact that I do life modeling to people who haven't worked in the arts at all. And they do think, you know, is it like stripping? Is it like uh, Playboy? And, And I think there's just a real disconnect that there, it's so difficult to work from life and it's such a 
like I said, I get such great respect for doing it because to have a nude model there is a real a real pleasure, a real benefit. And so I just like people to know that that it's a real thing that happens Mm -hmm. um, to go out and give it a try, maybe take an art class and see what it's about. And that these people are really putting themselves out there uh, to help create art. Uh, A lot of people in Western culture have a real hang-up about nudity. And um, even today, uh, people are very uncomfortable with the topic. There's uh, an art gallery in Waterloo, Ontario right now that's running running a show called uh, The Naked Show. And it has 100 art pieces of some of Canada's finest artists, which have been just stored away and never seen because people are so uncomfortable with it. thanks to Andrea and Harry Ebbing for the insightful discussion. If you would like to take a look at some of Harry's pieces, you can go to the U of A's Faculty of Extension in Enterprise Square. Various student pieces along with Harry's work will be on display for the student art show until early June. Also, if we've piqued your interest in figure art, you should check out the Harcourt House's annual Naked Show from June 18th to June 30th. So today we were talking about how art can help us talk about sex, and earlier in the show I said, when I think about art and sex, I think about nude models and indie porn. And I feel that after listening to today's stories, that's definitely not the case. There's a lot of art out there that's sexual, but you just have to be open to it. And you have to be willing to talk about it. And I think that's one of our biggest problems, is just being willing to talk about it. When you see something like a beaded condom or a nude painting, I think our tendency is to clam up and avoid the subject. Um, What the people in today's stories are doing is really opening up that conversation and making people feel comfortable about talking about sex, which is something that I'm still working on doing. Yeah, well, I think any growing person in the 21st century is kind of working on that. Uh, As far as uh, beaded condoms go, it really gets you thinking, doesn't it? I mean... Condoms are so ordinary and ubiquitous, uh, but they're also kind of, they're also seen as gross, you know, especially used ones. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, you know, seeing a beaded condom, like, well, a condom is something that's gross and disposable, and why would you do that? But also, beating a condom kind of defeats the whole purpose of the utility of the condom, but it humorously erases the whole the piece of the, the, the object to some, some kind of higher purpose or higher significance than it ordinarily would have. So I thought that was very interesting. Yeah, when we were talking um, before the show, it was kind of like this cultural statement you said, and that really stuck out to me. Beating a condom, is it's making a cultural statement about um, the past and, and the present situation that um, our Indigenous youth are in. And I think that uh, that's a powerful tool Using, using culture to really get to people because it's something that they can relate to and, and appreciate. Yes. All right, well, that does it this week on All That Matters. Thanks to this week's contributors, Chris Chang and Phillips and Sarah Alfazima. 
Our theme music is by Takashi Teru. All That Matters is a production of CGSR 88.5 FM in Edmonton. If you have comments or questions for us, send us an email. We're at allthatmatters@cgsr.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. We always want to know what you think of this show. So if you have a story idea, please don't hesitate to get in touch. I'm Nikki Weir. And I'm Beth Storheim. Thanks for listening.